You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Finland investigates GPS signal jamming during NATO exercises. Russia's the usual suspect. As usual, Russia feels picked on. Jihadists seem to be feeling the effects of social media screening and may turn to account hijacking. Indian intelligence services look at ISIS use of wicker. A look at Magecart. Cathay Pacific's breach now believed to be worse than originally thought. And the Paris call for trust and security in cyberspace expresses eight aspirations. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, November 13th, 2018. According to the Times of London, NATO's large Trident Juncture exercises conducted in and around Norway last week saw some apparent Russian jamming of GPS signals with the evident intent of disrupting the war games. Russia had objected to the exercises, said to be the largest since the Cold War era's Autumn Forge annual exercises. They called them saber-rattling. Trident Juncture opened on October 25th and wrapped up November 7th. GPS, of course, was born as a U.S. military technology but has since come to pervade civilian life. In this case, GPS denial presented an apparent safety issue. A Norwegian airline said that its flights lost GPS signal while inbound to airports in northern Norway and Finland, and Finnish air control warned of widespread GPS disruption in the northern part of the country. Deutsche Welle says that Finland is investigating. Finland's Prime Minister, Juha Sipila, said, Technology-wise, it's relatively easy to disturb a radio signal, and it's possible that Russia was behind it. We will investigate, and then we will respond. This is not a joke. It threatened the air security of ordinary people. End quote. That it did. Indiscriminate GPS jamming is a clear threat to safety of navigation. In statements today, Russia denied any involvement. Spokesman Dmitry Peskov said, quote, We know nothing of any Russian involvement in the disruption of the GPS system. You will have to ask the experts at the Ministry of Defense. But you know there is a tendency nowadays to accuse Russia of all sins, mortal or otherwise. As a rule, these accusations are baseless. End quote. This alleged sin, if you're keeping score at home, while not as bad as murdering people with nerve agent, would still seem pretty close to mortal. And we have to admit, for all the Russians sense that the rest of the world is picking on them, the GPS outages do look suspicious. Jihadist groups, pushed by social media into temporary online hiding, advises members to spread malign inspiration through hijacked accounts. Facebook reads this as an indication that its efforts to purge terrorist content from its platform are working. The social network has been under increased pressure, especially from the European Union, to clean out terrorist material. The effect of this will be to motivate ISIS and its allies to attempt more account hijacking, perhaps, the terrorist group's online bark has been worse than its online bite, but insofar as the barking constitutes howling at the disaffected lone wolves out there, it's been troublesome enough. Authorities in India are keeping an eye on a shift in ISIS tactics in the state of Kerala. The Counter-Terror National Investigation Agency and the Intelligence Bureau Domestic Intelligence Service are watching the terrorist organization's increasing use of the instant messaging service Wicker 
for command, control, and communications. Wicker, we stress, is a perfectly legitimate service. It's attractive to the Islamic State for its encryption, for its ability to strip metadata from messages, and for the ability it gives its users to set expiration dates for their messages, at which point expiring messages are erased. Researchers at Akamai recently published the latest edition of their State of the Internet Security Report, focusing on web attacks such as bot-driven credential stuffing in the financial services industry. Rich Bolstridge is Chief Strategist for Financial Services with Akamai. So credential stuffing is kind of the second step of this fraud cycle, if you look at the life cycle of it. So the beginning step is a data breach. Um, These breaches many times involve usernames and passwords. Now, the passwords are hashed or encrypted in some type in many ways, but there have been many of these in the past. And by the millions and by the billions, secondly, what will happen is those breached credentials will be made available to um, criminals or other bad actors on the web for attempts at uh, logging in to a variety of websites with those username password pairs. This is called the credential stuffing step. Now, there's a lot of people that have, uh, you know, your username is your email address, and a lot of people use the same password across websites. This credential stuffing leads to um, a set of validated usernames and passwords against commerce sites and financial sites or other, other shopping sites. And that leads to the third step, which is really the kind of the weaponization. It's the account takeover. So what, uh, what Akamai is doing is trying to move upstream from the actual, actual account takeover and stop it at this credential stuffing phase. And the, the numbers are staggering. Hmm. So take us through, what did you see? What are, what are some of the, uh, the particularly interesting insights from the report? What we're seeing with the report, first of all, there is an uptick in the volume of credential stuffing attacks. So across our platform over the last year, we've averaged about 3 billion malicious logins over the platform. We actually see these and and handle these. So what we saw with the latest study, the metrics for May and June of this year had an uptick to 4 billion malicious login attempts across our platform. So this was noteworthy, of course, as, uh, as things are stepping up. But we also highlighted in the report attacks against two financial institutions. And what's interesting is we looked at first was a credit union and second was a large financial institution. So it's, it's from the, the biggest to kind of the smaller financial institutions that we're trying to highlight that, uh, you know, the guidance here is financial institutions of all sizes need to pay attention to this, keep up to date with it, and consider the gaps in their security defenses to be able to be be prepared in case they are targeted with a credential stuffing attack. Are there misperceptions that people have about uh, what are some of the best ways to deal with this sort of thing? You know, I think it's still emerging. It's companies and, and firms, are, they're, they're coming to grips with this. It's not a problem until it's a problem. So five, six years ago during the Operation Ababil, the, what they call the Qassam cyberfighters, the big attacks by the Iranian bank, or the, the state of Iran against U.S. banks, the big DDoS attacks from 2012 and 2013. You know, DDoS was a very rare thing against banks prior to that. 
And suddenly banks were being targeted and taken out, you know, 20 at a time in some of those weeks. So the, the industry as a whole got on board, raised their defenses, and the you know, DDoS defenses across the industry now are, are very, very good for the most part. We're kind of at that stage here, I think, again, with credential stuffing. A lot of firms feel, oh, we're too small or, oh, we don't have any anything of value or we haven't seen seen this, so we, we don't think we're targeted. So we're, we're in kind of this state where it's still emerging, but yet many, many firms have had this problem. And when it's a problem, it's a, a real problem because, because the resulting losses and, of course, what you see, the volume of these you know, hundreds of thousands of login attempts can slow down your website, slow down your mobile apps, impact your real users, and in some cases cause availability problems. That's particularly bad in investment sites with the Dow dropping, in some cases, hundreds and hundreds of points a day. Everybody's pulling out their phone and checking their portfolio multiple times a day. So the, you know, this, this, the, you know, just handling your, your traffic for your real users on some of these volatile market days is challenge enough, let alone being attacked by uh, some large botnets with credential stuffing. So this is, this is a, you know, really a, an alert you know, call to arms here for the industry to uh, to be ready for this. That's Rich Bolstridge from Akamai. You can find the latest edition of their State of Internet Security Report on the Akamai website. Risk IQ and Flashpoint this morning issued a joint report on Magecart, the family of carding campaigns against e-commerce sites. The researchers identify six criminal groups as responsible for Magecart activity, and they trace the threat from its modest origins as the Cart32 online shopping cart backdoor, discovered in 2000, to the present threat responsible for large-scale attacks on large enterprises, including Ticketmaster and British Airways. Magecart proper emerged in 2015. The criminals monetize their theft of paycard data, either by selling it to other pettier crooks in carding fora, or by enlisting mostly unwitting mules to buy goods and ship them to the gang. The six groups involved in Magecart have recently shown themselves increasingly active in their aggressive, successful attacks on e-commerce. Cathay Pacific Airlines has told Hong Kong's Legislative Council data regulators that the breach it sustained was sophisticated and lasted for several months, as the airline sought with difficulty to parry the attacks. The attacks were discovered in March. The airline struggled at considerable effort and expense with containment until August, at which time it began to be able to assess the extent of customer data loss, far worse than thought, as the star summarizes. The attack seems to have been unusually determined and difficult to root out. Cathay Pacific has established a customer-facing website where concerned passengers can check to see if their data is affected. There will be a lot of them, Some 9 million people appear to have been affected. Yesterday, French President Emmanuel Macron sought to advance international norms for conduct in cyberspace. He issued Paris Call for Trust and Security in Cyberspace at the UNESCO Internet Governance Forum. The measurement amounts to a declaration of principles. About 50 countries signed on, but not China, Russia, or the United States. And it found favor with big tech, as both Microsoft and Google figured prominently among private sector supporters. The signatories commit to cooperation in eight areas. First, increase prevention against and resilience to malicious online activity. 
Second, protect the accessibility and integrity of the Internet. Third, cooperate in order to prevent interference in electoral processes. Fourth, work together to combat intellectual property violations via the Internet. Fifth, prevent the proliferation of malicious online programs and techniques. Sixth, improve the security of digital products and services, as well as everybody's cyber hygiene. Seventh, clamp down on online mercenary activities and offensive action by non-state actors. And eighth, work together to strengthen the relevant international standards. It's seen as a framework within which nations can achieve a mutually satisfactory agreement in cyberspace, but obviously there's a lot of work left to be done beyond this statement of good intentions. Finally, as people wonder about data abuse, The Telegraph asked UK Information Commissioner Elizabeth Denham if there will be another Cambridge Analytica scandal. She bets on form, saying, quote, I suspect there will. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, welcome back. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm doing well. You recently uh, attended a conference and uh, came back with some interesting things to share. Throw us in here. I attended the NICE conference, which is from the National Institutes of Standards and Technology. Mm -hmm. And NICE stands for the National initiative for cybersecurity education. Okay. Uh, being in cybersecurity education, it's a kind of a, an important conference for me to attend, I right. think. Right, sure. Uh, and one of the presentations I saw was from uh, Dr. Calvin Nobles, who is a professor over at University of Maryland, University College, mm, among mm-hmm. other places. Right. And his topic was the inclusion of psychology-based professionals in cybersecurity. Hmm. And we've kind of been talking about this 
here and there and at, at, at the Information Security Institute as well about how important these things are. But let me read what Dr. Noble says is the quote of the presentation. Okay. And he says, a human factors psychologist said, as researchers and educators, we must address all the many different roles that we humans play in cybersecurity. Beyond just the security practitioner who administers firewalls, tunes intrusion detection systems, and monitors networks, we must also educate the software developer, lawyer, policymaker, and all of us users who are unwitting accomplices of the attacker. Hmm. And he says that there is a real position for psychology majors to be taking a role in cybersecurity and says that the multidisciplinary domain of cybersecurity includes computer science, of course, mathematics, right? Yeah. Economics, which we talk about frequently on Hacking Humans. Right. Law, psychology, and engineering. Yeah. I think this is a really important point, and it's one I've I've heard at several trade shows. Right. Um, this this need because there's so many jobs available. Correct. On the cyber side of things, but it's not just the people from the STEM backgrounds. Right. We no, need people in all those positions. We do, and we really need people who are behavioral scientists and 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 people who understand how other people think to really be involved, not just in the obvious point of. Where these where these attacks are coming from, but also like in in the design of the tools, right? Mm, mm-hmm. uh, you should have you should have a human factors engineer or psychologist looking at your tools to make sure that this tool is telling me what I think it's telling me. Right, right. Yeah, you need those artists as well That's as correct. the uh, the tech people. It's on us to help spread that word to get out there to the high schools and the middle schools and, and say, look, you don't have to be a math whiz or a science whiz to have a place within the cybersecurity ecosystem. Since there you are, brought that up, I yeah. will tell you there was a uh, another presentation I went to. I don't remember which one it was, mm. but the teacher was saying, if you're good at math, maybe you can take a look at the cybersecurity field. And the very first thing she said was, you don't need to be good at math to get involved in cybersecurity. Hmm. Uh, and it, it was a Girl Scout event that she was talking to. And a couple of Girl Scouts came up with their parents afterwards and said, thank you, that was life-changing. Hmm. So th- that's an important an important point, is that, no, you don't necessarily need to be good at math or be an engineer to get into cybersecurity. Right. There are plenty of fields out there, plenty of, plenty of subfields within this discipline that don't necessarily require a heavy math background. Yeah, and it touches so many, it, I mean, it touches every part of the organizations now. It's touching every part of our of our society. Yeah. You know? yeah it's it's, a it's great part, part of what we are. Yeah. All right. Well, it's good information, and, and I think it is it is an important thing. Like I say, I think it's on all of us to, to help spread that word. So uh, thanks for bringing that message back. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.